Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. <coughs> and let me say, uh, like its predecessors and the one that will close us out next week, this is a wonderful passage. And this is one of those passages that we want to make sure that we hold a couple of things in tension, right? Some people, when they teach this text, it's all about Jesus and very little about Boaz. Then there's another group that comes along, and it's all about Boaz and very little about Jesus. And I think there's a happy medium between those two, that you don't have to choose between all Boaz and no Jesus or all Jesus and no Boaz. You can choose both. So we're going to choose both. And I hope that by the Spirit's help, we will squeeze as much juice out of this orange as we can. And so the way I want to draw these points together tonight will be around the theme of agents of redemption. Agents of redemption. Because it is very clear that is how Boaz is functioning in the life of Ruth and Naomi and the rest of this family. But that's also part of where he's calling us. That if we follow Jesus, he wants us to be agents of redemption. Let's pick it up in verse 1. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. Now when we hear that, we go, okay, well that seems kind of like a little bit of a throwaway. I never told anybody. I went over to the corner of my fence, and there the narrative began. But back in this day, the way the gate was, it was basically um, where business was conducted. Uh, homes at the middle, in the Middle East at this time, they had very narrow streets, and basically there was just enough room to come out of your house or out of that little business and pass your neighbor, and you keep on going. So if you ever had to do anything, uh, such as witnessing of any agreements or anything, it had to take place at the city gate. And so that's where Boaz was moving. And look at this, the rest of that verse. And behold, pay attention to that word, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Now, two things in play here. Number one, this word behold is another marker linguistically of the providential intervention of God. This book has shown us time and time again, we don't believe in coincidence, but we believe in providence. And this is another example of providence. God has taken a hand, and it just so happens that this guy that Boaz said last week, there's somebody in Ruth that's nearer than me, that we're going to have to give an opportunity to redeem you. Just so happens this guy comes by. And just to make sure that we understand what we're talking about here, this is this idea of the kinsman redeemer that God had set up to preserve both land and lines, lineage, in the Old Testament. And this man was closer to them. And let's see what happens. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. First point that we have today you need to pay attention to is this. Agents of redemption are people who overcome obstacles and follow through. Agents of redemption are people who overcome obstacles and follow through. And we're going to see this in this little section of text in two different ways. We're going to see Boaz do it, and we're going to see this unnamed redeemer not do it. But let's talk about that. Why is this an unnamed redeemer? 
Well, I can't say for sure, but the research I did gave a couple of different ideas. Uh, both of them agree that this is not incidental. The fact that this guy's name is missing is not a coincidence. One school of thought says that this guy was so obsessed with trying to preserve his own name and his own line, we'll see that in verse 6, that the writer of the book went out of their way to make sure that that didn't happen. He was kind of sticking it to the man here just a little bit to make sure that this guy, who acts pretty much shamefully, did not get what he was after. Now, the second school of thought is that because what he does here by not stepping up, and again, we'll see this in verse 6, was so shameful that it was a kindness to this man and his family that he doesn't and they don't have to labor under the ignominy of his failure for all of history. And in either case, it's not an accident that his name is mentioned or missing. So he's kind of the opposite of this principle. But let's talk about how Boaz is the embodiment of this principle. Three different ways I see here. First of all, the fact that he's willing to step into this mess without full assurance that it was all going to work out. I mean, he's got a good plan. He's working hard. He's doing what he feels like God is leading him to do. But there was no guarantee that he was going to be successful in executing this redemption of the land and the line. But he was willing to step out and trust God anyway. Second thing, he also confronted social taboos by doing this. And what I mean by that is Ruth worked for him. Typically, you do not need to do this in today's marketplace, though there's some exceptions, of course. But they had fallen in love and so on and so forth, and God was leading them in this path. But it would have been a little bit of a, hmm. And then on top of that, he was much older than her. So again, another social taboo, but he felt this is what needs to happen. They are in love, on they go. And then finally, the degree of difficulty that he has to overcome to make this happen, you'll see it throughout the passage, is very significant. So I think if the unnamed guy is the do not do, Boaz here is absolutely the you should do. And I think about this in a, a couple of different ways. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My parents were not perfect. They are not perfect. But I got to witness both of my parents serve in this redemptive way, overcome some great obstacles, follow through on a lot of things, when a lot of the parents around me, they, they couldn't do that for their kids. And so I am extremely thankful to have been able to see this kind of positive example in my own journey. Now, I know that's not the story for everybody in here. That, that might actually be the exception to the rule, not the rule. But when we have opportunity to do what Boaz does in the way that Boaz does it, for the glory of God, for the good of the world, for the advancement of the gospel, for the good of the generations that will come after us, by God's grace, let's do it. Let's lean in. Let's partner with one another. Let's see what only God can do in our lives because that's what we see in this passage. And the way that the writer is setting this up is clearly to show Boaz in an exemplary way. And certainly, we will see the glory of the Lord Jesus as we seek to do so. Now, look at verse 3. It says, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, 
is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So he's playing it by the book here. He's doing what he needs to do. He's, he's putting it out there before this guy to honor God's law and honor the process. And then verse 4 makes me really nervous. Look at this. It says, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And then he said, I will redeem it. Now, if I were sitting there that day, I would have like taken my water bottle and heaved it at Boaz's head because I'm like, are you kidding, you doofus? If you were like right there, you've done all this amazing stuff. And then right here at the finish line, you just fumble it. But he knew what needed to happen. And he clearly trusted God and trusted God's character and it's an exemplary thing that he did. He gave this guy the opportunity, and in verse 5 here, he bites on it. Or at the end of verse 4, he bites on it. But I love what happens in verse 5. Because Boaz is no bumpkin. Look at this. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, before I give you, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, let me give you the second principle here. And that is that agents of redemption are both honest and strategic. Agents of redemption are both honest and strategic. Or as Al, I said it last week, this is like George W. He was a man of integrity and strategery. He thought about this. He said, what is the best way to put this out there? Give him the chance, meet the requirements of the law, but also make sure that I get a good shot here. And that's why I would have been foolish for heaving my water bottle because Boaz knew exactly what he was doing. And he structured it in such a way that he was a man of integrity and honesty, but he also framed it to get the best shot at what he wanted here. And I think you see this actually throughout the Bible. There's tons of examples in the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament, you got to be careful with, though, because there's examples of what to do and what not to do, sometimes very close together, kind of like this. New Testament, you see this in Paul's ministry. Uh, they were very strategic about how they went out from Jerusalem to take the gospel. A lot of strategy, a lot of planning. You think, you think about this in uh, what, what Jesus says, that, that we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But the, uh, And even let me give you one more example. Missions history. If you study missions history, you look at guys like Hudson Taylor. They went to, uh, he went to China, and he decided, I'm going to dress like what he called a Chinaman. And he adopted the, the outfit at the time and the, the long hair that they wore at the time and all this. And it was all for the contextualization of the gospel to be as strategic as possible, to remove as many barriers as possible so that they might hear it in their own way. So this concept here of integrity and strategic thinking is one that we need to think about. So let me ask this question. Where do you need the most help tonight? 
Do we need to bolster the integrity department? Are you like all strategy and like nobody's going to know we're going to do this? Okay, we need to work on the integrity side. Or is it you don't really pit these two against each other, but let me say it like this. Could you be a little more strategic? I think as we think through this and how we carry this forward into our day, Boaz gives us a really good model to follow. And what we want is what God wants. And what he gives us here through with Boaz is a man who does the right thing from the right heart the right way. We want to do the right thing from the right heart the right way. We want to grow in both integrity and in strategic thinking, no matter what the Lord has called us into. And look at what happens in verse 6, because he walked in this way. And it said, Then the Redeemer said, <coughs> I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so this is where the shameful piece comes in. He should have stepped in here. He should have, from the, the, the human perspective, he should have redeemed Ruth and the whole family and so on. But he looked at this and he said, listen, if this woman comes in, I'm going to have at least two more mouths to feed. I'm going to have Ruth. She's going to cut into my bottom line. I'm going to have Naomi because she's part of the deal. I'm going to cut further into the bottom line. And then on top of that, the hope here is that Ruth, because she was young, would produce more children or would produce children from this new union. And so that's going to further dilute his assets, so to speak. And so it seemed that his motive being strictly financial was what led him in this direction. And that's a caution for us, too, because even though how we think about money, it, it does need to be a consideration we have a responsibility to be stewards. We'll give an account for how we manage what God has given us. It cannot be the only factor of consideration. Because if it is, we're going to miss some things that the Lord might be calling us to do. I know plenty of church planners around this country that it made no sense for them to leave what they were doing to go plant a church. But, and if they had only looked at it from a financial standpoint... Those churches wouldn't have gotten planted. So we can't we so we gotta have money and stewardship as an as a as a driving force, but it cannot be the only force. And sadly, I think that was what was happening here with this guy. And that's why he missed out on this blessing. And from what I can tell from the research, that's why we still don't know his name. Now, by contrast, let me give you another principle here of how Boaz shows us. The difference. Agents of redemption step up when redemptive opportunities present themselves. Agents of redemption step up when redemptive opportunities present themselves. There was a guy in the first, first church that I was a part of in Louisville. Now, we planted a church in Louisville called Crossing, but it was planted out of a church called Sojourn. And there was a guy, I was one of the uh, executive pastor, teaching pastor at, at, this, at Sojourn before they sent us out. And there was a guy that came into our ministry there while I was there. And there was a young lady that came into the ministry there. And she had been through the ringer, man. I mean, really, really rough story. Uh, when we first met her, she didn't even know the Lord. Had a couple of kids, 
uh, real tough situation, met Jesus, I mean, got like old school radically saved. I mean, major life change. And over the course of the next year, two years, got to know this other guy, never been married. And this dude stepped in, married this young lady, took on those two children as his own, and all the drama that went with that. And to this day, they have a <laughs> growing family. I think they've got maybe six kids now at this point. So they got the two that we started with and at least four more and have continued on loving Jesus and, and making a difference for the gospel. And it was exactly one of these situations. I mean, it could not have been more tailored to what, what I see in this passage than I'd ever seen. And I mean, that was like almost 20 years ago when I saw this happen. But to this day, it, it was burned into my mind to such a degree that I'm telling you about it now. And my hope in doing so would be that when we think about stepping into these agents of redemption kind of moments, we never do so in isolation. There is always someone watching. Now, the way this often works is they don't come up and they don't go, hey, you know what? I'm really watching your life. I'm really trying to figure out if Christianity is true based on how you live. I'm really trying to figure out if you could actually speak some words of help into my life based on that. That's not how it works. But make no mistake, they're watching. And so we have a gospel opportunity here just to follow Jesus and be a Christian and step into redemptive opportunities. <coughs> and it will it can have eternal impact, not just in that situation, but in all the ripples that you may never see. And think about that. You don't have to just go marry somebody that had a couple of kids already. This, this applies in when you suffer. This applies in when great things happen and you're blessed. Do you try to take all the credit for it? Or do you see that clearly God is taking a hand here? There's all kinds of ways that this fleshes out. <clears throat> Another one, too. Not everybody in this community has children. But for those of us who do, you better believe those kids are watching. And they are watching when you win, and they are watching when you lose. And we have an opportunity to show Jesus to them on the regular. Let me give you two more examples real quick. So over the last couple of years through the pandemic, we have had an unusual <coughs> amount of opportunities to step in and help people that were either homeless or in transition or somehow, quote unquote, down on their luck because of the pandemic. In fact, we were able to help one or two while I was on my break because uh, <laughs> they called and I was like, I can't leave this guy hanging. So we figured him out. We got him taken care of. So him and his wife and baby weren't on the street. So we're doing that as a church and your continued generosity helps make that happen because if you didn't give, we couldn't do that. So high five and keep it up. But I think that beyond that, and I don't have the specifics on this yet, but I think kind of the worse the world gets, the darker it becomes, the more opportunity we and every other gospel church are going to have to shine as stars against that black night. So we need to keep on keeping on in this thing as a church. 
And we need to keep on keeping on in this way as individuals. And part of what I want to put before us tonight is, as we're talking about these, let's call them redemptive opportunities, is there anything right now that the Lord is putting on your heart that comes to mind? Anything specific, any person specific, any situation, scenario at work, in the neighborhood, whatever, where you just get the sense, this is a Boaz moment for me. This is an opportunity for me to step in by God's grace, with God's help, and do something redemptive. Doesn't have to fix it all. Chance, chances are, uh, if it's a complex situation, which most of the ones that we've been able to help, they are very complex. We can't fix all their problems. But we can't keep them off the street for one or two nights. And so we cannot let the fact that we can't do everything to keep us from doing anything. And I guarantee there's going to be some redemptive opportunities, either beyond your home or in your home, in the next seven days before I see you again. So, that being said, let's be faithful and let's live into what the Lord has for us. Now, two last things I want to point out here. Verses 7 and 8, take a look at it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning and redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now, the rewind on this goes all the way back to the best example of this is um, when they would make covenants in the Old Testament, they would basically cut an animal in half. It was a very literally bloody business. Cut the animal in half, spread the parts of it. This is gross, but true leave the entrails on the ground, and then they would walk through it together. And the point that they were trying to make there was, <clears throat> listen, if I don't keep my end of this deal to you, may what happened to this animal happen to me. That's what they were saying. But by this point in redemptive history, they'd kind of done away with most of that. And so the sandal business was basically like saying, this ancient Birkenstock, this ancient croc, the dirt that is on the bottom of it. It's like that dust that was between those two bloody animals. So I mean it, and you mean it. But if you do this today, they're just going to think you're weird. So what you should do is you should get a notary and go to the UPS store. Okay? All right. That's the free application, but probably worth saying. Look at verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You were witnesses... This day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon and Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So that's that whole kinsman redeemer. He's closing the deal. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord, now pay attention to this. We're going to spend the whole time next week talking about this in the last few verses. But listen to what they pray, because you're going to hear it again. May the Lord <coughs> make the woman who is coming into your house 
like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So these were very important matriarchs, okay? May you act worthily in Epathra and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore for Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So what they were doing here was they were praying <coughs> this significant prayer of blessing over her and him, and it was particularly in regard to her bearing children and all that would come from that. And what we're going to see next week is that. And I'll go ahead and give you the spoiler because hopefully you already know this. Jesus comes from this line that is about to be established and reestablished. So these guys sitting there playing notary probably had no idea how significant this prayer being answered was going to be. But God did. And he planned that Jesus would come through this very line. And so that seems like the perfect place to end tonight. Because you can't talk about Boaz being an agent of redemption and not see clear pointers to the ultimate agent of redemption in the Lord Jesus. Because just as Boaz was a near kinsman to Ruth, Jesus is our near kinsman. He stepped out of heaven and laid aside all of its benefits for a season to come and to add humanity to his divinity, to be laid in a manger, to be misunderstood and mocked and die for us, to take on the human experience so that we might be redeemed. There is no nearer kinsman than that. How about this? Just as Boaz was a man of integrity and strategic ability, and those qualities and skills put him in a place where he was able to redeem Ruth, Jesus' sinless life and artful living put him in a place where he could redeem us. No one had greater integrity than the Lord Jesus. No one had greater strategic ability than the Lord Jesus. But how about this? Just as Boaz was willing to redeem Ruth in the midst of all of her mess because of his great love for her, Jesus was willing to redeem us and all of our mess because of his love for the Father and his love for us. Some of us rolled in here tonight and we don't feel very lovable. It doesn't matter how we feel. Here's what is real. Jesus loves you. He loves you in spite of what you did, in spite of the darkness in your heart. He loves you, and he has redeemed you if your faith and trust is in him. Don't ever forget it. How about this? Just as Boaz did all of the work necessary to redeem Ruth, he paid the price quite literally, to redeem Ruth. Jesus has done all of the work necessary to redeem us, and he paid the ultimate price 
for our redemption. Friends, Boaz is a great redeemer. But Jesus is the greatest redeemer. He is the true and better Boaz. The friend that sticks closer than a brother. The one that understands what we are going through because he has gone through far worse. And the one whose love can reach even the roughest edges of our lives. So let me close with this question tonight. Where do you need his love and redemptive work the most? Where do you need his love and redemptive work the most? Is it in something internal that you're struggling with? Is it in a strained relationship in your life? Is it at work? Wherever it is, it's there for you. Let's go to him now and receive it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are thankful to gather around your word tonight to be encouraged, to be informed, to be helped, to be comforted, to be challenged, to be changed by all that we saw in this passage. Some of what we need to avoid, much of what we need to embody, but most of all, what we need to encounter. And Lord, that is your redeeming, transforming, unending love. So Lord, we thank you for this passage. We pray that this sermon tonight would bear much fruit and then the conversations that happen after would bear much fruit as well. We pray all this in the mighty and sufficient name of the Lord Jesus.